Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, for that introduction. I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world. This is just getting more and more exciting. Every time I do a show and I check the stats, I am just excited and blown away by how many more new countries are joining this program, how many more listeners we are getting, and we are now in close to 100 countries And what's most exciting about that is people need this message. People are hearing this message. And that message is one of hope. Because we live in a world which is basically a hopeless world. And people that live in this world, very many of them have come to a place in their lives where they feel there is no hope. They possibly are having suicidal thoughts. They want to give up. They don't see any reason they should go on. And every single one of my guests, and I've had about 120 now so far, have the same message, and that is hang in there. You can do it. It'll get better. Tomorrow's a new day. And not only do they have that message of encouragement, but they also have tips and helps of how we can accomplish that, whether it's a financial problem or a family problem or an illness. There is hope, and people who have possibly walked in your shoes and understand where you have been will listen and hear what you have to say as my guest today. And I am so thankful for each one of my guests who share their stories with people that need to hear that particular story. With me today is Kathy Collard Miller. Kathy is an author, a counselor, an international speaker. She has been a speaker in eight different countries. Her books include Never Ever Be the Same, A New You Starts Today. Well, if that isn't exciting to hear, I don't know what is because many of us want to be a new you. And so we don't have to be the same. We can change. And when we change, we often get the results. And that's all part of the whole process. And so Kathy's going to share that with us today. Kathy's books also include Christian Living Topics, and study books, and she'll share that as well. She's appeared on many TV programs, and as I mentioned, she has traveled to eight different countries as a speaker, and she is also the founding member of Advanced Writers and Speakers Association. Thank you, Kathy, for joining us today. 
Oh, Carol, it is my joy. Thank you for inviting me. And you are in California, I believe. Is that correct? I am indeed in the desert of California, well, where it will only be 100 degrees today. That We consider that great. <laughs> well, Kathy, one of the things that I want to discuss with you initially is one of the problems that you overcame in your life, and that was being an abusive parent. First of all, my hat off to you for coming forward with this, for sharing your story. And you were an abusive mom to a two-year-old daughter. And not only has have you learned and overcome that problem, but you have also have a relationship with her and that has been healed. So we are excited to hear about that because I know there are other people who may be in that same position and have that same issue. Now, with you, was this a case of anger and uncontrollable anger? Unfortunately, yes, Carol, to the point that I constantly yelled at my daughter. Uh, I pushed her down on the ground. I hit her. I spanked her in anger. And one time, I think the worst experience was when I choked her. And it was as if I went out of my body and I was watching this hysterically angry woman with her hands around this little girl who was screaming hysterically. And it was the weirdest feeling. I knew it was me, and yet uh, then something brought me back to reason, and, and I just pulled my, my hands away, and there were marks uh, for, on her neck. They did go away, but it was the most horrible thing, and it was most likely pretty shortly after that, as things had gotten so bad that I lost more and more hope that I could change, and I almost took my life. I can certainly understand that, and I was, uh, as you were sharing, I was thinking, what kind of emotions did you go through personally? And that would be, of course, one of them. That would be stemmed from guilt, right? Absolutely. And just the fact that there, no matter how much I had tried to change, there there wasn't any progress. And so the hope was based in just feeling like I'm, I'm going to kill her. And I would rather take my own life than kill my daughter. And you know what was really weird about this whole thing, Carol, is that my husband was a policeman. He's now retired. But he was a policeman, and I knew he was going off each day and arresting people that were doing the same things, the same horrible things I was. So how could I tell him? He would have to arrest his own wife. So I was in this bind of I can't tell anybody. I'm well-respected at church, in the community, uh, in my neighborhood, I cannot tell anybody because, first of all, they won't believe me. And secondly, Mm. they will condemn me. And so the fear of isolation and how that added to my depression was horrible. So you were depressed. You were angry. You were guilty. You were suicidal. You were a mess. (laughs) I was a huge mess. 
How did you deal with your daughter? Was it a time where like an, very often in an abusive marriage where, you know, the husband abuses the wife per se and then uh, apologizes profusely, it'll never happen again. Did you do that with your daughter as well or was it just an ongoing everyday occurrence? No, it's hard now after so many years to really have a sense of how often it happened. What I do remember, it was more often than I wanted. It was more often than I vowed because I would say over and over again, I'll never do it again. And it got to the point where it was so often that one time I lifted my hand quickly from my thigh to my head to scratch my head. And my daughter cowered. She's <gasps> years old. She cowered. I realized she never knows whether I'm going to scratch my head or just lash out at her. And that's how unreasonable my anger was. As a two-year-old, she wouldn't have any sense of what the problem is. Right. And you mentioned the marriage. My husband was not abusive, but he was neglectful. He worked two jobs, a policeman, a real estate agent. He had a flying hobby. And so he was rarely home. I was home with a two-year-old who didn't want to cooperate with my toilet training program. Mm -hmm. And a newborn son, I most likely was in something that now they call, you know, the post um, postpartum postpartum depression, uh, but at that time no one knew about that or talked about something like that. So I just felt like no one was there for me. I would try to beg my husband, Larry, to stay home and help me with the kids. But the problem was my problem that I always made him feel guilty. I communicated he mm. never did enough. He was right, right there enough. He didn't do it perfectly. And so what does a person do? They escape because they don't want to hear that they're a failure. I know all that now. Yes. But at the time, I just was overwhelmed with my neediness. And he, and he, he says this day that he had a sense of my neediness, but he felt powerless to mm. help. I think that's very normal. It is, but what do we know of these yes, things when yes. we're young and stupid? We'd been married seven years, and yet, you know, there was just so much friction yes, that yes. has built over those years based on misunderstanding, not understanding each other as uh, male-female. Uh, there was a lot going on. Did you have the same relationship with your son? No, he was an infant, and boy, he was the best baby anybody could have ever wanted. So he was pretty, very newborn. Um, yeah, he. Okay. Yeah, so he never gave me any trouble. He was quiet. He was calm. Uh, but I think it was Darcy's not cooperating with my. Uh, toilet training program. She was very strong-willed. <laughs> very strong-willed. You could not say no to her. And she would push back. And I didn't know how to handle that. I did not know how to discipline her. I thought anger was a disciplinary tool. But I know that it's not now. Did you seek help secretly? 
like self-help books or um, not for a while because this many years ago 39 years ago there was dr spock there was things like that but not a lot of help and i i was so ashamed yes Uh, and i uh I, I did go to church, and I did make an appointment with one of the pastors, but it had to be canceled for some reason or another. So I just upped up my commitment. I'd never do it again. And I think one thing that did encourage my um, secrecy was that I did try to share with a friend of mine one time. Mm-hmm. And she reacted with shock and condemnation. And I didn't even tell her a lot of what was going on. I just said, I got mad at Darcy. And, oh, the reaction was. And so I left her house that day vowing never to tell anybody. I can understand that, sure. Nobody else must be like I am. I'm the monster. Yes, yes. And so eventually you start believing the lie, and it just creates a whole new set of problems, doesn't it? It does. It does indeed. So you're, like I mentioned again, you suffered with guilt, you suffered with shame, you suffered with condemnation, all the emotions that you were going through. Did you figure out where your anger came from, or was it just towards her? It was just towards her, but after I began to heal, I began to see how pervasive my anger was in all of my life. I just didn't express it as hitting somebody all the time. Mm. I could look back and think back to third grade when I got so mad at my best friend, Irene, that I hit her in the face. Carol, it was the most excruciating thing of my life at that time. And as she ran home crying, I stood there paralyzed. And my only thought was, see what happens when you get angry, Kathy? You better never get angry again. But what does that do? Right. That just buries right. the anger. Right. And I had a volcano of anger inside of me that just would pop up at times, and I'd go, oh, can't let that happen. And um, so I can look back, and I can see the sources, but... At the time that I'm being so angry, I I could not figure it out. Now, what about your parents, the way you were brought up? At the time, I thought it was very loving, but my father was very passive, uh, easily got drunk. He was not a mean drunk. He would just pass out. Uh, My mother was overwhelmed with financial difficulties. She took the control of the household because my dad was passive, Um, had three children. I was the oldest. By the time I was three, there were two other children. So looking back now, I understand her difficulties. But, you know, I felt like I didn't have a voice. Mm. I felt like there really was no one that understood Now my sister, my brother, and I, of course, are all best friends, and we do, can reflect on the similar feelings that we had. Interesting. Little kids don't know how to process Yes, yes, yes. 
and so many. And it must just grieve you when you see parents doing to their children what you did to yours. Yes. It does, because I just want to go, you know, to them, even as a stranger, and say, there's hope, there's hope, let me tell you. you <laughs> exactly. Know? And yet, when you're in that state, you're not really very receptive right. to hear, because it'll come across as condemnation, yes. even yes. though I would never intend that. And they don't know where you've been either. Right. I mean, maybe if I did say, hey, I was... I was angry as a mom, and yet then they're thinking, oh, well, I'm not angry. This yeah. is justified, because that's the problem with anger, mm. is that it feels totally justified, and it feels like it's the only means you have to try to control people, to change them, to help them make you feel the way you think you need to feel. What happened to make you want to change? I think one of the very earliest things that gave me a tiny bit of hope that was like at the end of a light at the end of a very long tunnel was that I finally got the courage to share with a neighbor. I shared just a little bit terrified that she would also have the same reaction as my other friend. And she was compassionate. She reflected my feelings. She said, oh, I can relate to that. I just got mad at my son yesterday. And I left her house, not mm. condemned, but hopeful. Yes. And that's when I decided I have to share with the ladies in my neighborhood Bible study group so they can pray for me, they can hold me accountable. And Carol, I would say that was one of the earliest open doors for healing that, in my case, God used. I would say that the abuse and the healing process took at least a year, if not 18 months. Definitely was a process. And you see, that also was significant for me because all along, I had been asking God to give me an instantaneous deliverance of my anger to just take it away. Uh-huh. But when he didn't do that, I thought he had given up on and didn't love me. But as he began to do and make possible understanding and instruction and help from others, I saw that he just had a different plan. Tell us about the process. One thing was I did start to read books. I became aware of books like Understanding the Male Temperament by Tim LaHaye, who just recently passed away. That book was absolutely amazing for two, uh, for two ways. First of all, it gave me an understanding of Larry and that he wasn't acting the way he was because he hated me. He was acting the way he was because he saw things from his own perspective and from a male perspective. I was trying to turn him into another woman to meet my needs. I needed to value what he brought into our marriage. Secondly, that book, at the end, uh, Tim LaHaye shares seven steps for overcoming depression, anger, and bitterness. Hmm. And each of those seven steps included uh, a scripture verse and from the Bible, 
and it gave instruction. Not much, really, when I look back on it, but I memorized hmm. the seven steps. I put cards around my house with the seven <laughs> steps, and I was reminded that my anger, I began to realize my anger doesn't get what I want. Boy, that's powerful. It is, because it it does not, as I began to read books on disciplining children uh, and went to seminars, I realized my anger does not motivate Darcy to obey. Mm -hmm. It only makes her frustrated, makes her uncertain and insecure, and in her insecurity, she disobeys because she doesn't know how mommy Mm -hmm. can respond to her. And it also creates an atmosphere of fear. Oh, yes. There was so much fear in her. As I said, you know, I couldn't hardly move and she didn't know what would happen. So the books on uh, parenting gave me the encouragement instruction for disciplining Darcy well and giving consequences consistently rather than haphazardly and thinking that, oh, well, she'll learn if I just ignore the behavior. I I gave her consequences calmly. Yes. I I followed through calmly. And at times, Carol, to overcome the anger, I would go in my bedroom, I would close the door and pound on a pillow. (laughs) That energy that anger causes was motivating my overreactions. Uh, other times I would go to the end of hall and of uh, the hall and jog in place and just get out that energy that the anger wanted me to pour onto a little girl. You were becoming aware of it and yeah. that was that was the major thing. It was no longer a reaction. You were becoming aware and you were using steps, you were changing your focus, right? So I think that's important. Exactly. And I began to be aware. I asked God to help me be aware of what the triggers were. Mm. So I would, after I would get angry, I would think back, okay, now what was happening? What was happening 30 minutes before that happened? Was I thinking negatively? Was Mm. I blaming Larry? Was I thinking... What was I thinking then 15 minutes before it happened and then five minutes before it happened? Because it always felt sudden, but it wasn't. It had been building up through negativity, through bitterness, through complaining, through uh, blaming. And I began to see what was setting me up for failure. So you were starting an attitude change, an attitude shift as well. Absolutely. And correcting my wrong belief system. Which was? I deserve to be treated well by my husband. My, my love, how, whether I feel loved is dependent upon whether he acts loving. Okay. That was a huge lie because we cannot make anybody else act anyway (laughs) that's right so if i'm depending upon my own happiness feelings of love 
whatever from another person. I'm putting my cards on the wrong on the wrong person. Did your husband start to notice a change? Because you weren't sharing it, this with him at this point, were you? Uh, you're, you're right. It was absolutely clueless. I have to tell you one of the major things. Larry was off for another day of flying. And as I just cleaned around the house, and I hope your audience will give me grace in, in saying what happened to me, I felt in my heart God say, tell Larry you love him. <laughs> and I said, no way, because it's not true. And he'll think I'm giving him permission to continue to neglect me. Oh, my goodness. God said it in my heart again a second time. And I said, nope, he'll use it against me. A third time the message came, but it was different. And I sensed God speaking to my heart, saying, then think it. The next time that you see Larry. Hmm. And I thought, okay, I can do that because he won't hear me and say it against me and use it against me. So that late afternoon, he came home from a day of flying without me again. He walked down the hall and I thought, I looked right at him and thought, I love you, but I don't really. <laughs> most wonderful thing was when I made that choice mm -hmm. to love him even with just words and I continued to make that choice the feelings returned and Larry says now that as I stopped demanding him from from being the source of my well-being mm -hmm. He noticed a difference, and he began to feel drawn back to me, hmm. and then agreed to go to a couple's retreat, a marriage seminar, uh -huh. that I had been begging him to go to for months. And that was one of many continuing steps of healing in our marriage and our family and me resisting becoming angry. That was some powerful message that you gave there. Because what I'm reading in this whole thing is forgiveness. Yes. And it is so difficult for some people to ask for forgiveness and to forgive. And it is an attitude. It is a lifestyle. And when we have grudges when we hold unforgiveness, you know, against someone, who's the only person we're hurting? Yourself. And that, that's exactly what you were doing by withholding your love and your husband. You were only hurting yourself and you were not forgiving him. But I'm sure, you know, his lack of affection, his lack of attention, his lack of bowing down to you, you know, <laughs> as all men should, you know, <laughs> you know, all the distorted things that we think, right? That we deserve. I mean, you're saying so much in what you're saying that I know that there, are, you know, we can all relate to to some of the things that you're saying in different ways because it is such a huge problem when people hoard unforgiveness. And forgiveness, as I'm sure you have learned, is a lifestyle. 
Yes. And it starts, you know, whether it's a big thing you need to forgive or a little thing. But if you become in a place where you just do it and do it, you know, regularly, it becomes easier, doesn't it? Oh, it does. I didn't realize that when I thought I love you, encompassed within that, which I began to be more aware of as I continued making that choice was, I forgive you because you don't know how to love me. I forgive you because your perspective is limited and you have your own needs that you're trying to meet and I'm not helping with that. Forgive me for for not being who you need me to be. And I also want to be sure to say, Carol, because I began to ask Darcy to forgive me, mm. even as a two-year-old, a three-year-old. She didn't know what I was talking about, but I, I was more free to, to not react in anger the next time uh, because, well, in all selfishness, I didn't want to have to ask her forgiveness because I would be admitting I was wrong. But it was healthy. It was healthy for me, yes. for her, to for me to say, it's not your fault, honey. Mommy is not doing this right. Will you forgive me? And Carol, I think that's really important. We don't just say, I'm sorry. Yes. We say, I am wrong. Will you forgive me? And that loves that person's heart well. And with child rearing, as you were sharing, you know, a few different things in the beginning of your of your story here, there has to be a balance. And you probably were not aware of those boundaries and balances. You saw a child, the child misbehaved, therefore there are consequences. But you didn't realize that in child rearing, there is a balance. There is. And I think one of my um, very important insights was that Darcy or our son are not a reflection of me. Mm. I get angry, like in the grocery store when Darcy would have a fabulous temper tantrum. I would feel shameful that she had made that choice. But I didn't tell her to have a temper tantrum. Why should I blame myself? Therefore, I don't need to get angry to try to change her behavior. I need to definitely give her consequences, but her behavior doesn't say anything bad about me. What a lesson learned. It was. There were so many. Mm -hmm. It it just, um, it certainly gives many things to be talked about as I do speak and as I write. And uh, I, I, at the beginning of that healing process, I don't think I could ever have imagined how deep and how many things were contributing to, to hmm. the problem. Now, is she a mom? She is. She's now 41 years old. She is um, a mom and uh, has a husband 
and her son is nine years old, and we have a blessing coming, a surprise. Oh, wonderful. She is pregnant, and the, our baby granddaughter will be born in a couple months, and we are very excited to welcome this little girl no kidding. to our family. And Darcy truly does honor me with her forgiveness. She calls me her best friend. She calls me almost every day. I I am just blown away because when I was abusing her, terrified I would kill her, I thought there's no way this little girl can grow up to be a healthy, normal human being because of what I'm doing to her. And there's no way she's going to love me mm. because I am only worthy of hate. But Carol, after my first book was written, which was called Out of Control, and it told my story, Darcy, who was in fifth grade at the time, was so excited that my first book was out that she said, Mom, can I take your book to school with me <laughs> and show my teacher? Oh, boy. <laughs> Did I go? I didn't want everybody to know oh. I was, I'd abused her, but she was excited. And she took it off to school, and then I found out later that book had been passed around to different <laughs> teachers and the principal. And finally, the book was returned from her teacher with a note attached. And the note said, I really love your daughter. She's a happy, well-adjusted little girl. And no, she's not perfect even today. I'm still not perfect. But she is a healthy, normal person who loves her family and who loves God. And I, I know that it, it's been a miracle. And you know, it could have gone the other direction. It could have. And the fact that you asked for forgiveness, the fact that you changed your focus, that you began to realize that the problem lied with you, that you began to do all the steps that you went through in that process and and took it upon yourself to change. Look at what it's reaping. Oh, amazing. You know. I, I never imagined in a thousand years. Tell us about your books. Now, you mentioned the first one, so share share a little bit about your, your different books that you have. Well, I would love to. The one that just recently came out that I actually co-authored with my husband, and by the way, we now speak together at couples retreats, hmm. celebrated our 46th wedding anniversary. He's the love of my life. <laughs> I am his and uh, we just appreciate each other. We still get upset with each other. I hope so. <laughs> yes, but you know what? We are committed, and even when things are, there's misunderstandings, whatever, we make the choice to love. Right. Because love is not a feeling. Love is a choice for the other person's highest good. So the book that uh, we recently wrote is Never Ever Be the Same. You mentioned it. And we, in that book, share the different um, steps of overcoming these wrong habits, whether it's anger or perfectionism 
or whatever it is, we help the reader to look to the underlying causes that Mm -hmm. usually went all the way back to childhood to really let them get in touch with where the source is, not just to give them three steps for change, but where did it start and how can they change? And then another resource uh, is my Bible study book for women called Choices of the Heart. And that's a part of the Daughters of the King Bible study series. So those are my two newest i there i do have another book out called partly cloudy with scattered worries and that helps uh, women in particular to overcome worry and uh, fear and that's not a problem is it <laughs> i look back and you know what even my worry contributed to my anger of course it did yes because in my anger i mean in my worry I was terrified Darcy would grow up and hate me and point mm. fingers at me, and so now I'm even more upset. That's right. You, and then I think it's also part of the give up syndrome, too. What difference does it make? It's, you know, it yes. can't be helped anyway. It, so It'll never yeah. change, so why even try? So, to, you know, you, you kind of skimmed over the, those other books. So you, you have the, the very first one. What was the name of that? Out of control, unfortunately, it's you know been out of print a long time. Oh, okay, okay. Nineteen eighty-four. Oh, okay. And then you're the one that you just did is never ever be the same. A new you starts today. That sounds fabulous. And what were a couple of the other ones that you mentioned? Just maybe expound a little bit on those. Choices of the heart. That is a Bible study, particularly for women. And it's basically a, you know, studying different parts of the Bible. Okay. And then my women's book, Partly Cloudy with Scattered Worries. That's a nice title, too. What is that? that Yes, yes. (laughs) We've all been those days. Yes. So what is that about? That is about overcoming worry. Okay. That is about trusting God more. And believing he really does love us and want the best for us. That sounds like a book I need. <laughs> we all do. We all do, exactly. That's what I was thinking. And you um, know what? I wrote the silly book and I still worry. <laughs> <laughs> but I worry less. <laughs> and you also catch yourself. Exactly, Carol. I'm so glad you stressed that in our interview. Because it is a matter of whenever we're worried or bitter or angry, whatever the emotional uh, problem is, to evaluate what's going on Mm -hmm. inside of me, what's going on inside uh, around me that feels threatening, that feels like I'm out of control or whatever it is. And our book, Never Ever Be the Same, is particularly about that. It's about finding out what is going on within us and how are we evaluating what's occurring around us. It's becoming aware, isn't it? Yes. I love that. What a great summary. Becoming aware. 
because we're not being blind. We're not being blinded by thinking, mm-hmm. like you said, there's no possibility of change or there's no hope for me. Right. I thought there was no hope, but there's always hope. And that sums it up. There's always hope. That's what we always are sharing. There is always hope because as long as we're six feet above, <laughs> we can change. You know, once once the hope is gone, it's gone. But as long as we are standing and breathing and we wake up in the morning and we can change and we can do something and there's always hope. There, so you made you made that message loud and clear. You gave us lots to think about. I appreciate that. I appreciate your books, and we're certainly going to have all of these in your show notes. Is there anything else that you would like to share as conclusion, summary, or as a call to action? I do indeed. Share with other people if you need help. Don't let secrecy, shame, guilt, embarrassment Mm. prevent you from reaching out for the hope because there is hope there. And that's why I love your program, Carol, because you are encouraging people to know there is hope. There is always hope. Thank you, Kathy. You definitely gave us something to motivate us to inspire us, and that's what this is all about. So I thank you very, very much. you, Carol. It's been a joy, and I just count it a privilege to know you. Thank you, Kathy, and goodbye. (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.